to This Week in Innovation. On today's show, I got a chance to talk with Alan Smithson, co-founder of Metaverse, spelled capital M-E-T-A, capital V-R-S-E, about the evolution of the overarching Metaverse. He's been involved in building Metaverse technology since the company's founding in 2016. His company is a, a cloud platform that makes it easy to, to create, curate, and consume interactive 3D experiences across every device through a drag-and-drop code-optional editor. Their short to midterm focus is on marketing, retail, and e-commerce solutions. And he's got a podcast, XR for Business, that's worth checking out. Give it a listen and let us know what you think. Uh, today, we are going to dive into the metaverse. And as our guide for today, I bumped into Alan probably a couple of, maybe five or six months ago on a clubhouse call. So Adam Smithson, the co-founder of metaverse.com. Let's, tell, let's talk about the metaverse. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. This is a wonderful opportunity to share and maybe clear up some ideas around the metaverse and what's happening. We were fortunate enough to, fortunate or unfortunate enough to call our company Metaverse, spelled M-E-T-A-V-R-S-E, back in 2016. And it's been quite a journey over the last almost six years now. We've built over 120 projects in XR, in virtual, augmented, mixed reality, 3D games, this types of things. And They've all been experiences that were you know, focused on either retail or training or marketing in, in those three kind of realms. And the idea was build as many things as you can using the most cutting edge tech and learn what sticks, what works, what doesn't. And I also started a podcast called xrforbusiness.io where I interviewed about 150 different people either making the technologies that are supporting us or using the technologies within their companies. And the idea was... Where is the value being created? Where, what were the challenges? How much were the costs? What, were, what would you do differently? And what are the KPIs around this? Is this moving the needle? And so you can take 120 uh, actual projects build, 150 episodes of the podcast. What we've been able to do is form a really concrete view of how the metaverse in terms of this technology layer will, will proliferate this technology across all sectors from, from industrial training right through to retail. And we're actually building a mall right now, which is super cool. We'll get into that, I'm sure. Okay, so I'm an analyst. I studied technology fairly closely. I can't remember when I first heard the word metaverse, but it wasn't in 2016. And it might have been as late as 2020. I guess maybe let's start with what is, how do you define the metaverse? And then where did the term come from? And then where's it going? Sure. So the term came from a book back in the 90s called Snow Crash. Snow Crash. Do I need to read that book? Yeah, it's very long, but it's a quintessential book. Okay. Uh, get the audiobook for sure. No. But this book mentions this world word metaverse where people go in, they put on virtual reality, and they can participate in this new economy. They can learn, they go to school there. Because the world in that book, it's very, it's like end of the world kind of thing. Yeah, where it's just, it's dystopian though, right? It's not a positive world, I don't think. It's not, it, it is not positive. It's very dystopian. It's very, you know what it feels like? It feels like when we were all locked in our house during COVID, that's how the world was in this book. There's a direct correlation between kind of us being locked in our house during COVID and what you know, was described in this book where people don't really leave their house because there's nothing to do and they live in these virtual worlds. Now, I don't ever want the world to get there. However... There are certain things within that book, within that story that resonated with me and then give me this vision of what if we could build schools inside the metaverse where you appear as an avatar that isn't tied to your sex, your gender, your geographic location, where you can learn and you can be 
judged based on your merit rather than your skin tone. And I thought this was a great way to unlock the power of the World Wide Web for everyone. And really, if you take the metaverse as a definition, it really is just the internet, but in three dimensions. So instead of looking at our internet, instead of looking at a screen like we're doing now on a Zoom call, we're looking at each other over a flat screen. Imagine now you could either go into the screen, meaning you can wander around virtual worlds a la Second Life or Fortnite now and Roblox. So you can go in, wander around a persistent world, meet other people, but also the world of the computer can come out to you in augmented reality. And I can take 3D objects, drop them into my world in perspective of the world. So I can drop a car in my driveway, see what it looks like. I can maybe drop a Billy bookcase across the wall, see if it's going to fit. So there's the ability to go into the world and come out of it. That's the really only difference. And what's allowed this to take place in the last couple of years is really a proliferation and an acceleration of technology. Our phones are super powerful now. You look, 10 years ago, we didn't have an app store. Well, 12 years ago, there was no app store. The word app developer wasn't even a thing. And now it's a job for millions of people. So metaverse creators, whether they're creating environments or digitizing products, or even just showing up as a service agent in a virtual world, this is all going to be part of this new internet 3.0 or web three or metaverse or blockchain. And blockchain is going to underpin all of the, the trading of assets between that. So if I win a sword in one uh, thing, I can put it in my backpack and take it to the next thing. They can take my avatar from place to place. Now, of course, people are going to have different avatars. For example, I want maybe I want to have a professional looking one that looks like me for work or school. And maybe I want to have an orc or a giant dragon as my avatar in you know, other experiences. So I think that we're only scratching the surface of this, of what's possible in here but it's happening really fast. It's really interesting, your school example. I went to Catholic grammar school about a zillion years ago and we all had a uniform on. We all had white shirts and blue pants and never understood that. We all hated it. But what they realized was that the kid of a doctor and the kid of a field worker, which was absolutely the case in my school, looked the same. And so they knew that a hundred years ago and which is why they just wanted, they wanted uniformity. They didn't want kids to have to worry about what they looked like. And it's interesting to hear you say that, that really, that, man, I flash back to St. Anne's Academy in Lodi, California. The other thing that's really interesting about what you said, because to be honest, some of the examples seem not, not what you just said, but up in the last couple of months seemed a little silly, but I do a lot of volunteer work in Africa. Schooling and education is huge. And if I can create a world where kids can just pop into a platform, assuming we can get electricity out there, which by the way, is the big problem. Or, or Wi-Fi. Or you well, brother, you got to have electricity to get Wi-Fi. So we got to get the electricity first, which we can do with solar and all that stuff. And then we lay the Wi-Fi on top. And then with if we Starlink, can- Starlink, we can now reach people yeah, with Starlink. With I, satellites. That, that example, I think I bumped into what, maybe maybe getting ready for this call in the last couple of weeks and, I, and, and the light went off on my head because that would solve- we could have one teacher uh, that speaks French anywhere on the planet and can teach, I don't know, what, 50, 100, 1,000, 10,000 kids in one classroom? One, and this is the thing about the way we can generate these things. We can start to do you know, what feels like a one-to-one. The teacher's talking right to me because it's recording the, the teacher's movements through a VR headset. So their head movements, they're where they're looking, all of these things are, can be recorded and when the next student goes there, and, and it's asynchronous too, so a student can pull up to the teacher, ask a question, and then when you take it to the next level, we can add AI in there where you can have a one-to-one experience with, with a really knowledgeable teacher that is really one to thousands or one to many. 
And that's really the ultimate goal is being able to take the, the world's smartest people in their niche of what they do and have them mentor other people in that niche. Because what, what we're doing now is we're ramming knowledge down people's throats and hoping they memorize it. Where I think in the future is going to be more learn on demand. So if I need to fix something, I pull up the instructions on my phone or my glasses. I look at the thing. It tells me how to fix it. And I just do step by step. We're already doing this right now with some major companies. One of them is a, a medical device manufacturer. They have really complicated medical devices, and we're doing step-by-step -step instructions on how to repair, replace, and use all of these things. So how to use all the buttons, and then how to take a screwdriver, unscrew every nut, bolt, and screw. And now you've replaced a thick manual, a weekend course, and you've replaced a whole bunch of videos with a simple 3D. I, I'm, in on the, I'm in on the education piece of that because I can just easily see solving so many problems, assuming I can get electricity to, to our little village in Senegal. But man, oh man, that's really powerful. So we're mostly dedicated to, to retail and CPG. I'm assuming there's a big play for retail on this side. Huge. Well, so we focused as a company in two, two verticals, uh, marketing and training. And the reason why we, we chose those two is not because we wanted to spread ourselves thin. It seems like we're doing that. But when you start to realize that the training application, so I take those 3D blood machines and we turn them into training. We take the same exact experience and put it over here and change the verbiage out from training to marketing. And you can literally say, okay, now here's the features mm. of that product, put it on your website. And now you've got a fully interactive 3D experience for your trainers and your now uh, staff, your sales staff, or your just your customers directly. We do some training uh, right now for Samsung. We do all of the launches of their new, their new devices. And really what it looks like when you look at it, you don't think it's training. It, it looks so beautiful, like a marketing piece. And what we're starting to see now is brands are starting to get involved in the metaverse. They're starting to realize, oh my goodness, this is the thing. Let's get in here. You've got brands like Nike building entire stores or, or experiences within Roblox because Roblox has people there. But brands are also going to want to host their own things, which is their own designs, their own look and feel, their own traffic driven to it. And what we're building right now, I think, is going to really resonate with a lot of brands. We're building what we're to dubbing right now the mall of the metaverse, but we, we're trying to figure out a better name for it. But the idea is that it's going to be a fixed, persistent mall that you can access anywhere in the globe from any device, meet with your friends as avatars, walk around, experience mini games, art exhibits, entertainment, we'll have artists there. We also can go shopping, of course, and you can go in, you can see new products, you can see new experiences. And this is an opportunity for brands to flex in their own controlled mall type environment. And we've priced it very similar to where a mall would be. You, you have a freehold improvement, you lease a space, you improve that space, you either build it yourself or we build it for you. And then you pay a lease uh, every month and that goes to marketing and driving traffic to the site. And then there's a percentage of revenue that we take as a, as a percentage of their net. So we're trying to keep it the same as what brands are used to, but giving them the global scale that's accessible by 7 billion compatible devices. And what does it take to, to enter that mall? Do I need Oculus? Do I need, just need my phone? What kind of gear do I need to get there to start with at least? Sure. We at Metaverse, we really prioritize ubiquity over everything. So when you hit click publish on our system, we, we actually built a full editing suite, very similar to Unity and Unreal, but on the web. And everything we do is web-based. So you can access it on any device, desktop, tablet, phone, computers, whatever, even VR headsets and AR glasses, all from a browser window. And this is the ubiquity that allows for global scale in any language, anywhere in the world, 
from any device. And now you do need you do need reasonable internet speeds. You can't do this on a you know on an old 3G phone. It's not going to work because it wasn't designed for that. And we're moving rapidly into 5G. 4G is enough to do what we knew. So we built it for today's technology, knowing that as tomorrow's technology comes on board, it will just be that much better. Is that mall open for beta or are you still in a developmental stage? Yeah, so the first the first phase of the mall will be 24 spots. Each spot is a fixed space allotment and then you can buy as many spots as you want. So we're just in the process of finishing the, that right now and we're going to be out selling it. So if brands are interested, Please reach out to us and I'm happy to set up a meeting with our sales team and we'll, we can go through the nitty gritty. But we're going to be launching this uh, at the near the end of Q1 next year. Okay, so so we're, uh, we're within what, four or five months of actually seeing, seeing this thing. The, the whole infrastructure is built. So the avatar systems built, the malls built, the communications. So the being able to meet up with friends in the mall, walk around. We're even building a food court right now. So we're negotiating a deal with a food company that owns ghost kitchens throughout America. So that depending where you are on your device, wherever device you're on, wherever you are geographically, your menu will appear in the food court of what you can order from your area. So we're thinking about those things as well. And we're really looking for some large anchor tenants to to take the first few chunks of them all. And we'll build around that. We want top brands to be part of the first iteration of the wall for sure. Very interesting. What are the major technologies that make up the metaverse? So I'm an analyst, okay? So I don't like buzzwords. I like defined um, spaces and categories. So are there, first of all, is the metaverse something that analysts will begin to forecast? I've seen just insane market specs on what this thing could be. I I don't know if I buy that. But are there, there individual unique technologies that are part of the metaverse that are being adopted at different rates that make up what, what we're talking about? Or how, how does that Break look? It down super simply, first of all, there's two main categories of technology that make up the metaverse. If you take away the internet, of course, we need the infra- internet infrastructure. We need phones. We need processors. Just take all that stuff. But the actual building of the metaverse, you have XR or virtual augmented mixed reality 3D, that collection of tool sets. And you have blockchain, cryptocurrencies, NFTs on the other side. So those two main, I would say XR and blockchain, if you were to narrow it down to two things. Now within XR, you've got volumetric capture, meaning you're capturing people from 100 cameras, putting them into a scene volumetrically, 3D uh, modeling. There's all these subsections, but to really generalize it, you've got XR, which is the kind of formation of the 3D assets, environments, products, that sort of thing. And then you've got blockchain, cryptocurrencies, and those things which is going to underpin the currency of the metaverse. Because if you're dealing with persistent global uh, customers, charging in USD and in these different different uh, fiat currencies is maybe not the best currency transaction of the future of the metaverse. Maybe crypto is, and I don't know, but we're working towards an, an ability for you to click buy now, put your credit card, put your crypto wallet, however you want to pay. You should be able to pay seamlessly wherever you are in the world and have the product delivered to you as quickly as possible. So we actually do have some forecasts around blockchain, but you can't take, I assume you couldn't take the blockchain horizontal forecast and say that's the metaverse blockchain. Or, or no, so, it, so it'd be a subsector of that or a piece of that. I've seen different forecasts. So the, the one that we've been using for a while, and I think it's pretty accurate, is that XR, virtual augmented mixed reality, and this is the side we play on, this technology, this collection of technologies will create approximately a trillion and a half dollars in value. This is not meaning like they're going to sell a trillion dollars worth of headsets and a trillion dollars. No, 
What it means is if I go into a company and I can save them $10 million in training, that's $10 million that accumulates. Oh, interesting. Okay. So that's like value creation from the technology. Now to put it in perspective, AI will create roughly 15 times that. But sorry, about 15 trillion, 10 times that. That's the estimated value creation of AI over the same period between now and 2030. So crypto will probably be somewhere in between, my guess is two to three trillion uh, between now and, and the end of the decade in value creation, maybe more, maybe less. But I don't think all of those can be applied to the metaverse. So I think you're looking at probably a market of conservatively a trillion dollars, aggressively $2 trillion yeah. between now and the end of the decade. You get over a billion dollars, I start paying attention just to <laughs> I have a, a huge I, number. And, and this is like the trillion and a half of value creation is actually PwC's number because they took into account retail, all sectors, manufacturing, just the, the efficiencies that we can use glasses for in warehousing and uh, manufacturing. Right now, manufacturing in America is roughly about 65% efficient. We still have a long way to go to make it 100% efficient. So these efficiencies add up and they add up to real dollars at the end of the day. As a forecaster of retail IT spend in three or four years, will I have a bucket called the metaverse or will those just be individual technologies we forecast? Because VR, I would already, we're already forecasting that. And certainly blockchain, we're beginning to forecast that. But I, don't, I haven't seen any other than what, what the examples you're referring to. Will retailers have a bucket item in their budget for metaverse or metaverse type technologies? How do you see that evolving? That's a really good question. And I actually, I don't know the answer. So to put it in perspective, Balenciaga the other day just announced that they have a metaverse division now. Nike has a head of metaverse, metaverse studio. I, my friend, Eric, uh, he's running the metaverse studio at, at Nike. I think big brands are making a, a, a splash here. Whether metaverse stays as the kind of future of the internet, you can really just, will brands have a budget for the internet? It's really like saying that. So I don't know. That well, they do. They absolutely have a budget for the internet. That's all the technology that takes into, it. Yeah, but it's also broken down into, we have a budget for social media, we have a right. budget for a website, we have a budget for traffic. We, so I don't know that you're going to have, maybe you'll have the overarching metaverse budget, and then it'll be broken down very quickly there, like AR, 3D, virtual reality. And then also cryptocurrencies, NFTs, and this sorts of things. So I think you'll see them be a little bit more granular. Maybe it's a top line budget that the CEO approves ten million dollars on the on the metaverse, and that gets broken down immediately into its constituent parts, which build that. Interesting. Interesting. Do you see that sitting under the CIO today, or in digital marketing? It almost feels more digital marketing. I think it's going to be a marriage of CIO, CTO, digital marketing, because this is really going to upend the fabric of people's websites. So if you are talking about now having a three-dimensional website that your customers can land in and walk in and go in for a walk in your website and walk around, I'm just going to pick a, a brand, Yamaha. I want to walk around Yamaha world and walk around and see the motorcycles. And I, I want to go to another room and see the, the musical room. So Yamaha could have a landing page where it's Yamaha world. And there's four different ports where you go into motorcycles, you go into musical instruments, you go into this. And so I think brands are going to have to rethink the very fundamentals of how we consume websites. And so for that, I think that's going to be a partnership between the you know, inf information structures, the data collection, the security side of things. Like when we go through procurement with, with any company right now, it's usually broken into three distinct parts. You have to get legal, for approval, financial approval, and technical approval. 
once you have all three, then you can start selling to the company. Without any one of those, it really falls apart. So you have to go through each one of those. And I think the faster companies figure out how to start procuring from small businesses, the more likely they will be to keep their advantage as a technical leader. Wow, interesting. Where do you think we are in the adoption of this technology? And let me make sure I understand. Are we talking about this technology or a basket of technologies that sort of net up? Because augmented reality, I could find plenty of examples that are just operating, at least in retail, that are operating independently. But I, I definitely see the vision of this thing all netting up into something. So I, I guess help me as an analyst trying to understand this whole evolution. Are we talking about, will we be talking about the metaverse as a technology, a bas basket of technologies, or just a bunch of individual technologies that all sort of net up into this thing? How do you want us as analysts to set this framework up? Well, I think at the end of the day, there's always going to be a number of technologies that contribute to it. For example, if I want to take a water bottle and I want to make it 3D and put it on my website as, a, as an object, you have to create that 3D object somehow. You can do it through one of six ways. You can you know, take photogrammetry, meaning you take 100 photos of that and stick it some software and it creates the 3D model. You can craft the 3D model from sculpting software. You can buy it off the internet from one of the repositories like Sketchfab or TurboSquid. You can use LiDAR scanning. You can use a $100,000 LiDAR scanner, scan the product and create a 3D object. You can use iPhones. The new iPhones and Samsung phones have LiDAR scanners built in. They're very low resolution, but you can use those. And there's, so there's a million different ways to create 3D objects. But the penultimate for that, to populate... Because imagine if every object and product in the world needs a digital twin of it, means, meaning we need a digital version of it and to populate the metaverse with all these things. What the really penultimate to this is using AI to take simple, like maybe five or six photographs, the photographs we already have on Amazon or a website where you have six photographs, top, bottom, left, right, front, and back. And now you've got from that AI that will generate 3D objects. There's been a dozen companies trying to do that. Nobody's really figured it out, but... Whoever can figure out how to create 3D objects from photographs is going to win because that's the biggest stumbling block right now. Now, all of those technologies together will be put up into what's called a game engine. So right now, uh, all the games and apps on your phone are built on Unity. Almost all of them. Something like 70% of all games and apps are built on Unity, which is a game engine that you download on your computer, you build on it, and then you publish to apps through iOS or Android. Now, there's another way to do it. There's Unreal Engine. They also have an engine where you build AAA games, Hollywood movies, these things, and they're very high-end stuff. But the ultimate ubiquity is on the web, which is why we built our game engine, which is very similar to those, a lot less features. But what we went for was ubiquity. How do we make a game engine so that any brand can start to build metaverse worlds, metaverse experiences, call from any computer in the world on a browser and share them with their users and their consumers and their guests with one click published. And so I think what we're gonna see is everybody's trying to get to the web, but over the last decade, the web has been very underpowered for super high-end graphics. That's really changed. And we built some core technology around making things look absolutely beautiful on mobile devices on a web browser, which is really ubiquitous. Now anybody can access it from one click or a QR code and they're into the metaverse. There's probably 600 tier one retailers with better than um, a billion dollars in revenue in the U.S. and North America. How many of those do you think are ready to sit down and have a conversation about the metaverse? I would say 598 of them wow. are, are ready. I can tell you from my, what's happening, brands are 
I always trying to go where people are, where their consumers are and, and you know, get fight for their dollars and, and get their attention. And we're really in the attention economy right now. So if the brands who are not thinking about this want to compete in this new world we call the metaverse, uh, they better start now because what's happening is the brands that are starting now are, are tripping. They're falling. They're making mistakes. And this is good. Yeah. This means we're trying, we're pushing the limits. Some things won't work. Some things do work. But I can tell you the brands that we started working with two years ago are way further ahead than everybody else. So much further ahead. It's nuts. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of making mistakes on for innovation. That's always been the retail industry's maybe problem of, of the worry of ever making a mistake. And I think it's definitely slowed us down versus other industries. So let me redirect the question then. So 99% of the of retailer, tier one retailers are ready to have this conversation. Okay. The next question then is who are actually talking about it today? Because it can't, you, you cannot tell me it's 99, it's 599. It's got to no. be way less than that. So it, it's the big guys. It's the Nikes of the world. Nike is already well established and they're building virtual worlds. And, and for the record, Nike is a retailer. They actually have a large retail operation, but they're also a brand. So in some ways they're cheating because they, they're, they have all that. They have all that that energy from being a brand that they can just flop that right into their retail arm. But I'll, I'll, I'll put the Nike in a, a little bucket on their own. Because yeah, they should be. I, I, it, yeah. For the for the point of understanding the adoption, I, I would probably lobby for that because it would. So I'm going to retract my statement then, because you talked about retailers, and I in my brain was thinking brand. I, I you know, I, and I heard you use that brand term a lot, and I was going to let it go a little bit, but I, I was going to come so back let's on let's it. Let's dig into that because I think retailers are actually behind quite a bit, and and I would say of, of the 600, I would say. I would say less than a quarter of the actual retailers, the ones who are, are selling you know, products to customers, not direct. I think there's going to be a huge push be, for brands to go direct. And Nike, to put it in perspective, pre-COVID, Nike had a goal of 35% digital direct-to-consumer penetration by 2025. COVID sped that up to 50% in one year. So they experienced 10 years of digital transformation in one year. So now... To put it in perspective, Adidas just uh, made a press release saying we're going to spend a billion dollars to play catch up, basically, to, to enter the digital transformation world. So I think brands are leading this now. Brands are all thinking about this. So Balenciaga already has a video game out. Prada's doing a thing. Gucci has done something. So the brands get it and they want to be where their customers are and they want to be where their customers are direct. So they're actually, you know, I find the retailers are now going to be competing with the brands they're selling. And this is a problem for retailers. Interesting. Six months ago, I would have pushed back on you on that. But six, five months and well, I did the research. And you are 100% D to C. I'm a brand and I sell shoes. Yeah. Let's say I sell $100 pair of shoes. They cost me 10 And I have to sell them to the reseller for 60 So I make 50 bucks versus I sell directly to the consumer for 100 and I make $90. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a no-brainer now. And, and, you know, you're already seeing this with smaller uh, mom-and-pop shoe stores. They're not going to be able to compete yeah. with the digital universe. So one of the things that we're doing actually is with this mall is we're, we have a very kind of long-term roadmap. Is how do we take the mall concept and make it available so that any retailer, big or small, can now come in, populate their store and build it because we want to actually make it democratized a bit because right now only the big brands can afford this, but it's a big brand play and that's fine. But ultimately we want to be able to have everybody, mom and pop stores. We want to have everybody because the metaverse is for everyone. And our whole ethos, our mission is metaverse creation for everyone. 
everybody should be able to participate. And one of the reasons we built this platform the way we did is because myself personally, I don't know how to code. So I was locked out of the creation process. We built this so that if you don't know how to code, you can still create. And that was something that we put right in the ethos from the very, very beginning. So basically built on low code? It is built on low code. And now if you're a JavaScript developer, you can do crazy things. You can yeah. connect your business intelligence tools to the backend. You can connect your learning management system to the backend. You can click or collect order management. So if I'm in the metaverse, I never leave. I can go shopping. I can click buy now. I can see the amount of stock in and I hit go. It's all the payment processing. Everything's done right within the metaverse. You don't have to leave and go to another site. And all of the backend is connected to order management, support. Now, even right down to support, like I'm in a store, I want to walk around and I can hit a button at any time and an avatar pops up of a customer service agent who's a real customer service agent. Maybe they're in VR, maybe they're on a 2D screen, maybe they're on a phone, but you see them as an avatar and they can help you. And it's like a one-to-one, you're seeing somebody. It's not just a random phone call or random chat. You're seeing somebody, an embodied person, and they can help you. And this, I think, is going to drive more consumer confidence in the stores and the products that they buy. On this pod, we're big fans of low code. So uh, that's really one of the more interesting examples I've bumped into. Let me just go back to that question. And I just want to make sure I understand it. Taking out brands or taking out uh, D2C for sure. No no debate about that. I agree. Your numbers are are 100% spot on. And it's stunning how much, how successful Nike's been. But if I have a physical conversation with 600 of those CIOs from classic retailers not doing any D2C, how many have already, how many do you think have already had a conversation about what the metaverse means for their business? If they've been on LinkedIn or the internet or any news site in the last two months, they must have seen the word metaverse. <laughs> well, I have so. In the last 60 days, there's been over, because we, we did a, a, like a count on them. There's been over 25,000 articles referencing the word metaverse in the last 60 days. Yeah. So if they're not talking about it, I'm not sure what they're doing in their jobs because yeah. this is happening. It's happening now and people are investing billions of dollars in it. Now. I don't want to keep belaboring the point, but I think the point is, and so 60 days is, is nothing in, in, in time frame because that's literally my evolution around metaverse. Because I think you were in a clubhouse room with, weren't you in a clubhouse room with uh, Michael Zucker? Exactly. And I think that's where I first heard the term. Yeah, I thought, actually, Eric from Nike was on that call as well. And, 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 I, and I thought you were crazy, to be honest with you. <laughs> and, and from that point to this day, you got a convert. But mostly it's because of the school. So hold on, Jeff. When was it? That was what? Uh, maybe it, August? I, I jumped on Facebook. I mean, sorry. I jumped on um, Clubhouse February 1st, and then I went hard from February to to March and April. So it was somewhere between okay, so February. March, right? So Yeah, probably, probably March or April. Call it eight months ago or six, seven months ago. And look what's happened in six, seven no, months. No, you're 100% right. So, I mean, I'd never heard, I'd never not, heard that like term. The whole metaverse phenomenon of people using this, this is not... Something that just happened. And we've been building these technologies for years and years. Now the world just caught up with us. Yeah. Um, so we've been building it, you know, and screaming from the rooftops, metaverse, XR, VR, AR, you yeah. know, been screaming from the rooftops. And it just wasn't a priority before COVID. And then COVID just hyper accelerated everything and just lockstep everything just hit in this perfect, you know, timing. And it's funny with startups, you need three things to be successful you need technology, you need a, an amazing team, and it, you need timing. And I think maybe fourth luck too. I don't know. <laughs> maybe you know, all three, you got nothing. Yeah. And then luck comes into it. Oh, you need luck. That goes without saying. Um, you need to be lucky. So which I, I'm lucky to be on this show. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, no, my pleasure. We want to chase down these interesting evolutions. So yeah, 60 days. So I think if 
and I'll, I'll actually be hunting this down. I think if I talk to 600 CIOs, I, I, I don't know there's a lot of serious work being done. I'll, I'll say, so you don't have, you don't have to say it, I'll say it. Because you said mention it and they would yeah. talk about it. Okay. I think they're all probably thinking about it. Have spent a dollar, have I spent at least oh, $1 oh, going oh, after oh. some pilot. Then we're down to, that's we're down to half of one. Though. Yeah, okay. I, that's a totally different question. So, yeah, so the point being is we're really, probably that's even probably high. Although I think 2022 is going to be the year of low code and the metaverse, obviously. there's not, That goes without saying. But everybody keeps spelling it wrong. It's M-E-T-R-S-E. Let's get that right. Fair enough. I might have to, I'll make that, I'll make that, uh, that change going forward. Um, so in 2022, we're there, we're standing on the door of 2022. What are the three or four things retail CIOs need to be thinking about and doing when it comes to the metaverse? So I think the first thing to do is start to craft a strategy around what you want to do. If you take into account the fact that gaming is massive, it's bigger than all other forms of entertainment right now, you need to be thinking in terms of what is our strategy around attracting people on that side of the world, on that side of the, the fence. Also, how do we manage the fact that people older than that, and maybe have never played a video game, are going to now be going into these worlds? And how do we make it comfortable for them so that it feels like what they're used to, only digital? I think there's we've taken too far of a leap sometimes where we get too futuristic. And we're like, hey, check out this futuristic place. We're like, whoa, you know, I don't want to fly around. I just want to shop. So I think there's a the idea of sitting down <clears throat> and working at a strategy in verse for 3D, how are we going to convert all of our products to 3D? What are we going to do with them? How are we going to leverage AR? Because AR is a huge part of this. How are we going to leverage VR in the next, kind of, call it five years? I, I don't know when it's going to be hugely ubiquitous, but eventually VR will be huge. Like something like Dyson, for example, they built a VR experience now that you can try their vacuums and some of their other products in VR. And not only are they able to promote the product in that, but they're collecting data around how people use it and vacuum and their angles of attack, because now you know how high they are, how tall they are. You can collect data from the VR headsets and use real user data of a fake product in VR. Oh, wow. So, yeah. And wow. the new VR headsets in the future are going to have eye tracking. So you can see what features people are looking at. You can track where they're looking in the stores. So I think getting in now, figuring out what your strategy is. We do strategy work for, for companies as well. But the idea is to figure out what you want to do where are you going to plant your flag and start just experimenting daily to spin up a small team to go experiment, to go find out where the value is being created. I can tell you that 3D converts higher. So just by using 3D objects on your website, you're going to convert higher. You're going to have longer dwell times, which lead to higher conversions. And so that in itself, just having 3D objects and 3D experiences on your website, that alone is going to put you in the realm of being uh, metaverse ready. Very interesting. Official softball. So where should my audience go to retailers? VCs are probably already aware and probably the startups are already, but retail executives, where should they go to learn about the metaverse and the retail opportunities they're in? Sure. I, I will actually uh, send you some resources. I wrote a, a guide called the brand guide to the metaverse. It's a two-part guide. The first part is where's the value being created, who's doing it, and some examples. And the second part is how do I get started? 3D, 3D image capture platforms, that type of thing. So I think that's a really good resource. I spent a lot of time working on that and I tried to keep it you know, as objective as possible. There's also, there's a Metaverse Primer by Matthew Ball. He has a new ETF that you can invest in called Meta and it's an, an, an ETF and the top 10 holdings uh, of that 
are all kind of NVIDIA, Facebook, the top 10 companies building stuff in the metaverse. So uh, by investing in an ETF like that, you're kind of going to spark your own curiosity in this. And I think definitely study uh, what's happening in the crypto NFT space. There's a lot of money being poured, like billions of dollars being poured into the NFT space right now. It almost feels VR maybe five years ago when we had billions of dollars pour into the VR industry and it went through its hype cycle and then imploded a bit and people lost a lot of money. I think that's where we are right now with NFTs. There's a huge hype cycle. We're already starting to see you know, a bit of the crash from that. I think by Q, by the end of Q2 next year, it'll level out and we'll start seeing kind of real value creation. So NFTs and being able to track provenance of an object or a, of a product, I think is really huge for brands and, and they're only starting to do that. So if I buy Prada shoes, maybe there's an NFC chip in it or a QR code where I can scan that and it shows the provenance of who owned that shoe. Maybe shoes aren't the right, right product, but maybe a higher end purse or something like that where you're talking thousand dollars products. You can now track the provenance of art music, digital assets. And don't forget, brands now, brands and retailers have the ability to sell digital goods to people. There's a whole market of not selling physical products. And your margins, retailers, listen carefully. Your margins on a digital product are 95% because you don't have to make it. You don't have to ship it. You don't have to support it. It's just a digital thing I send you. Now your customer owns it. They're happy. They can show it off. They can flex on their, maybe in Roblox, they want to wear a Gucci sweater. I don't know what people want to do with digital fashion, but you can now buy digital shoes for your digital avatar and the margins are massive. And I think that any retailers that want to learn about that side of things, I think it's a huge opportunity that's very underserviced right now. Alan, thank you so much. I, I guess as a former Gartner analyst, I lived with the hype cycle, so there's nothing wrong with, and we wouldn't even call it a crash. We would just call it the, you know, sliding into the trough of disillusionment, which is exactly the path 100% of technologies have to take and the plateau of productivity is halfway between the, the hype and then the trophic disillusionment. So it's a totally logical, normal process. This thing just feels like it's on steroids, though, because this seems like if this feels like we're we're I, I mean, uh, I haven't seen where, where Gardner's place it, but it, it, I, we can't even be at the peak yet. Well, the peak's going to be next year, my guess. The metaverse, it's really like we said before, it's not any one thing. It's a collection right. of other technologies. So NFTs are part of it. They're at the top of the hype cycle. VR and AR are already on the plat, way down the plateau of productivity. Slope of disillusionment, climbing to the plateau. I'll have to check, actually, because that's probably published. Actually, they're not even on the chart anymore. Oh, they're already off? off the chart. As oh, okay. Oh, very interesting. We've already, okay. We're already seeing massive scale. Accenture just bought 60,000 VR headsets to uh, onboard their new employees. So employee onboarding is a huge part of this because they're working from home and they're now bringing people together for meetings. And one thing about VR is you hijack people's 100% attention. You can't look at your phone when you're in VR. You can't really do anything. Being on a Zoom call, I could be here on a Zoom call with you looking you right in the face while I'm searching my emails. It happens every day. You know, But in VR, you're looking at somebody. I look at you in the eyes and I'm looking at your avatar. You're looking at me. And if I wildly swing my arms, I look like an idiot. And you're like, why are you wildly swinging your arms? It's like being in a real meeting. So you have to behave in a certain way like you would in a movie. Well, that's the best nugget I think I've heard that <laughs> all the interesting things. Maybe that's how we get to get people to put their phones down. We all put our headsets and actually have conversations. That's actually a fascinating point. Um, Alan, thank you so much. Very interesting. Can I come back and have you be my guide to the metaverse? I would be honored, Jeff. And I appreciate that. Honor my, my mission in life is to inspire and educate leaders to think in a socially, economically, and environmentally sustainable way. 
And I, I hope I brought some value to, to your network. So, so I'm happy to do so at any time. So feel free to use this platform to maybe by next quarter or something or, or whenever there's some really interesting developments. Because I think, gosh, I just in my head, I don't know about a trillion, but there's a whole many billions of dollars we just talked about spending. So that seems like that's a pretty big opportunity for all my tech providers. And if it's money they're making, it's, it means retailers are spending. So it sounds like this is going to be a really interesting evolution. And for the record, I, I have done now a 180 on the metaverse in the course of about six months. So I'm very <laughs> thank you for, for that. I am actually going to, I'm going to do something for you on this call. I'm actually going to share my screen. I want your vocal opinion on something you're going to, but see here. We live, live data. I never advise live data. Can you see? I can see it. Okay. So this is a, an NFT gallery that we built with MasterCard. Wow. And what it is, the ability to walk around. I'm looking around real time. And I can walk around and look at product. I can spin the product oh, wow. over to it. And right now, oh. what I'm looking at is uh, an art gallery yeah. uh, with you know, full-on uh, e-commerce experience. So yeah. I can go over to the art. I can touch the art. I can experience it. And of course, this will be multiplayer as well. Right. So I can go and look at the art with all my friends. No, that's legit. So for everyone, we're basically just on, on my screen and we are looking at objects and we're being able to rotate them and, and interact with them. Alan, you're not even wearing anything. You're just doing this with clicks, right? You're not. Yeah. The, so everything we do is based on a, a 2D screen, but 3D yeah. and a 2D screen. And the yeah. idea is that 3D doesn't matter if you use VR, AR, it's all the same technology. Our engine can do everything from one click. But the idea is that the ubiquity of 2D screens, we there's 7 billion devices, yeah. computers, tablets, and smartphones that this will work on directly with a link. I'll send you the link right now. Fantastic. In the show notes. I shall. Very interesting. Definitely a subject we'll, we'll come back on again and again in This Week in Innovation. Thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate it. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. For more info, refer to the pod notes below. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating and review. It really helps us grow. I'm your host, Jeff Roster, analyst at large. If you want to connect, follow us on Twitter at JeffPR or at Brian Sathanation, or connect with us on LinkedIn. Visit my website at roster.retail.com or brians at Until next time, stay safe and have a great week.